Incremental to Exponential podcast. Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast series from Capita, where we'll explore how big companies can innovate to survive and grow in the face of ambitious startups. I'm Justine Green, and each time we'll be meeting a special business guest to hear their story and opinion on our theme. And we'll be joined by Vivek Wadwa and Ishmael Amla, authors of the new book From Incremental to Exponential, How Large Companies Can See the Future and Rethink Innovation. Vivek is a technology entrepreneur and academic based in Silicon Valley and joins us from there. Hello, Vivek. Wherever you are. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and Ishmael is Capita's Chief Growth Officer, usually in London, but I think you're in New York at the moment. Hi, Ishmael. I am in New York. Uh, hi, everybody. Now, Vivek, let's start by highlighting why someone should listen to this new podcast series. What are they going to get out of it? So what we're going to do is we're going to be interviewing a whole bunch of people who have figured out exponentials, who figured out how to survive in this era of change. And, you know, companies and executives who are going to be the next leaders. So that's why it'll be worthwhile, because they're going to share their secrets and we're going to tell you how you can own the future. And Ishmael, it's fair to say you and Vivek know each other well. Yeah, yeah, we do, actually. Do, do uh, well. Too well, maybe, yeah. 20, 28 years ago, I was thinking back, uh, Vivek was the chief technology officer for a startup, and I was employee number two in, uh, in Europe. And I taught him everything he knows, of course. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and, and then I've seen him in different guises. Uh, he was a consultant to us. He was an academic. Uh, Vivek's, uh, of course, uh, an author uh, as well. So it's been great collaborating with him on this particular project. Okay, well, let's introduce our special guests for this episode. Mick Ebling is the founder and CEO of Not Impossible Labs and joins us from the glamorous location of Venice Beach in LA. Hello, Mick. Hey there, how are you? Good, thank you. Now, Mick, just give us a quick tour of your CV. I started off my, my professional career. I started driving around the Pacific Northwest, uh, selling ski trips to college students. And when I realized that I couldn't exist on being a ski bum alone, I uh, got into production, uh, making television commercials and films. That transferred into this passion for story. Started a company, we had offices all over the world, things were going fantastic. We were winning awards, getting big commissions, the peak of our game. And then I had this momentous night happen where I was introduced to a um, paralyzed graffiti artist who had ALS. And that was the moment that started this whole domino effect of seeing things that I considered to be absurd. In this case, there was someone who was paralyzed but did not have technology to be able to communicate with his brother or father or family or friends because he didn't have the right healthcare insurance. He didn't have the right access, didn't have the right, his parents didn't have the right job. So we set a course on trying to solve that and we created a low-cost ocular recognition device called the iWriter. We did it totally as a, as a goof, something that we just wanted to do. It wasn't, uh, there wasn't any strategy associated with it. But that ended up going and creating an entire movement of low-cost ocular recognition technology. It won Time Magazine's top 50 inventions. And we weren't planning on that, so it kind of caught us off guard. But that led us to seeing the power of seeing things that are absurd, seeing things that are 
that are socially wrong in the world and then jumping on it with technology and solving it. And that essentially is the, was the founding and the origin of Not Impossible Labs. And that's what we do now. So Mick, your business model is somewhat unusual. Let's talk about the incubator. A, a typical incubator will go out and look and see other, you know, see things and problems in the world and then try to figure out how to create solutions or invest in other people who are looking to create solutions to those problems. That's a typical, if you look at like a Y Combinator and, and some of the other kind of name brand incubators that exist in the world. But what typically happens is they, people will come to them and look to them for money and for their network, but they will have already identified the problem. In our situation, we will identify that problem and then we will seek to build what that solution is. And so we end up self-funding and self-creating those solutions. And then once we've gotten that to a certain prototypical stage, a prototype, then we will go out and you know, figure out how to scale. The distinction is, if we feel that you can help the most amount of people by giving that prototype away, by posting it open source, then that's what governs us. We are not looking at you know, unicorn exits and looking for massive you know, exits as the origin and the impetus of why we create. We're looking at how we can help and affect the most amount of people. Now, in the course of the things that we have, you know, in the course of the company, we're about 10 years old, we have published a handful of things open source and pushed those out to the world free. And we have a handful of things right now that have gotten to the phase where we're able to go out and raise external money and, and launch them as their own separate entity. So I think the distinction is that we incubate, but we incubate our origin and our, and our motivation is always from coming from a place of good. I think that one of, the, one of our superpowers, uh, and it's actually a chapter in my book, is the fact that we seek out failure. Right? One of the chapters called Fail, 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 Succeed, Repeat as Necessary. And we at Non-Impossible see failure as that kind of stepping stone, that the next pathway, the, the progress towards actually coming up with something that succeeds. Well, it sounds, Mick, like you never stop. Uh, thank you for now. And we'll talk innovation with all three of you next. Okay, let's bring Vivek and Ishmael back into our conversation with Mick now. Uh, what can big legacy companies learn from Not Impossible Labs' approach to innovation? Vivek and Ishmael, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, um, so actually, the time I met Mick was at Dreamforce, where Mick was opening day one of the executive track of the Salesforce Global Conference. And he had an audience of big business actually listening to the story and the storytelling is actually the big lesson because I was sat there with some of my colleagues and I kid you not, there were people crying from what the story that Mick was telling us and inspiring us to move to action, to do things for good. And I think that's part of one of the things that I think we can learn from organizations such as Mick and from people such as Mick. And then two or three other things I'd say one thing that comes across really clearly is speed of action. And it's, it's really interesting that, and I think there's a lot of research that also shows this, that people who can relocate talent and capital fast can fail fast and then can learn fast and can get to actions fast. I think that's one thing. I think there's something here around being ready to invent and that invention uh, could be operating model, could be technology, could be people doing things differently. Just the ability to get 
different thoughts into the room. And one of the things I think I've learned from, uh, from Mick in understanding how his business works is when he talks about getting people in the room, and by the way, Mick is being not, not really forthcoming with all of his attributes and all of his accomplishments as the Muhammad Ali Humanitarian of the Year and all these incredible, uh, you know, TED Speaker of the Year and all the, rest, all the rest of it. But the way Mick manages to get talent in the room, which is diverse, which thinks differently, which brings different skills to the room, means that they are ready to invent in a very different way. And then, you know, follow the customer or solve for the one, I think, was a great example. And I think uh, that is something that big, big organizations can also learn from. Vivek? Yeah, the only thing I'll add to it is uh, reinforce what you said about being able to tell stories. And the other thing is the key message of our book, From Incremental to Exponential, is that it's all about people, people, people. You know, again, companies have R&D departments, they have R&D budgets and so on. Forget all that. What counts is your people. Everyone has a role in innovation. Everyone everyone can make an impact. And it's your people who have passion, who are going to change the world, who are going to transform your company. If there's one thing you get out of this podcast, it's realize that it takes people like Mick, who really have you know a desire to change the world and to help others that make the difference, that, that can help you reinvent your company. If every company thought of themselves not as a massive company, but thought of themselves as a as their units, as many micro companies. And they injected that into the culture, not as a way to create fiefdoms, but as a way to create a sense of scrappiness. Then I think that that's, that's what you need to breed. You need to, and Vivek touched upon it when he's talked about people, you need to breed a sense of entrepreneurialism to your people and try to extract or move away from that concept of a big, massive entity that moves so slow and instead empower the groups, the subgroups, to be able to, to move quickly. Um, one of the things that, you know, in conversations that I have, I'm very lucky to be able to have lots of conversations with CEOs of major companies. And one of the questions I ask them is like, you know, I'm sure you give sales awards. I'm sure you give awards at the end of every year. Do you ever give failure awards? Do you ever celebrate the people who have tried the most and failed the most? Because those are the people who are eventually going to make the breakthroughs. Those are the people who are the ones that are embracing this, this whole concept of innovation and disruption. And that, that's how you really inject and catalyze an innovation culture within a company. We're aware how the world is having to change and to do so quickly. How can you make those big businesses that have a resistance to change mentality do things differently? You have to realize that there are people like Mick in the world, that if you don't uh, innovate and disrupt yourself, someone else is going to do it. So you're going to have you know, bright entrepreneurs who have a passion, who have a, you know, a motivation to solve a problem. They're going to solve the problem and you may be the casualty of it. As a result of this pandemic, large organizations have realized that actually a lot of what they thought was impossible has happened. If I look at our own example at Capita, we've been talking about create, we have thousands and thousands of people doing call center work. We've been talking about allowing a hybrid workforce where people can do call center work from home for decades. And suddenly within three weeks, we moved 20,000 people to work from home because we had to. And I think a lot of organizations are, have crossed this chasm about the art of the possible. And actually a lot of the uh, innovation or different ways of working they were thinking of doing has happened. And then the question now is, how do you institutionalize that? 
other way of thinking. Mick, how do you change the attitudes of those that are resistant to change? Um, you know, I, I tend to agree with, with Ishmael on this, is that this is more about looking at um, your surroundings. I, I, love, I love the study of history, right? And as a self-proclaimed obsessive academic around the concept of impossible, if you look at the history of all things that were impossible, that were made possible, you see this, this revolution against a status quo. And what I always talk about is that if you study and you look at everything that's possible today, you'll see that at one point it was impossible. So therein the inverse of that lies also true, which is everything that's impossible today, if you base it on stats, if you base it on history, everything that's impossible today is on the trajectory of going from impossible to possible. It's just a matter of time. It might not be in our lifetime or a kid's lifetime or a grandkid's lifetime, it might be future generations, but there will be that point. Now a hallmark of many successful entrepreneurs is fearlessness, which is not something you can say about many big organizations. Do you think you can change an incumbent's ethos here? For large organizations, actually, they haven't recognized their strengths in being able to uh, take advantage of innovation and drive change. When you think about large organizations and what we have uh, in advantage in scale and knowledge and brand, marketing machines, ecosystems, customers, people, talent, balance sheet, all these things, it gives us such an incredible platform from which we should be able to drive uh, markets and changes and innovation and so on. But if you look at it, the startups got wiped out. The Amazons and Microsofts, all of the big companies ended up you know, doubling their valuations. They, uh, the billionaires became, became richer. Again, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but the fact is that, uh, as Ismail said, the big companies have a strategic advantage. They have things that the startups can only dream about. Well, I would, uh, I would again, go back to history on this, and we can go through a litany of, of companies and eras where big companies were kind of put in that same position as, as owning the platform, as owning the market. And then you have things like, you know, you just look back at Kodak, you look back at you know companies that are where legacy just absolute stalwarts, just massive, massive pillars within a particular industry, and they were completely wiped out by by the Davids. What you're saying made sense historically, and that's what I used to say as well. But if you look at you know what's happened recently, the last you know couple of years, we've seen that everything has changed. Well, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a Goliath. I would uh, highly recommend that you strike what Vivek just said from your memory because that's exactly how you're going to get coal cocked and get the, the, br- the rug no, no, ripped no. The out Goli- from under The Goliaths have to realize they're in trouble. The Goliaths have to be fearful. They have to realize that they're going to be out of business. They're going to be wiped out by another Goliath if they don't get their act together. That's the lesson here that big companies have to do a lot to reinvent themselves. They can't just be complacent. If they're complacent like the Kodaks and the companies you talked about, I absolutely 100% agree that they're going to get wiped out. Well, what about the crazy ideas that can disrupt big industries? Any examples of those? When you think about crazy ideas, um, you know, you think about Netflix, you know, that's, Mick, you're talking to that, there's a whole blockbuster business that got wiped out by Netflix coming over the top. You think about Wikipedia, who would have thought that an encyclopedia would be owned by the people with knowledge rather than something published once every five years. You think about what we're using now, which is um, a derivative of Skype, right? And Teams, video conferencing a few years ago was never going to take off. So there's, I think, loads of things that have disrupted it. I think, actually, 
The real interesting thing around innovation right now is not necessarily these major one-off milestone things, but actually the way business is changing just because of the connectivity, the cost of technology, the convergence of different technologies. I've always said that I believe that one of the best attributes in leadership when you're talking about leading or growing a company is a very, very healthy sense of paranoia that you're missing something, that there's something that you didn't take into consideration that can eventually bite you in the ass. And that, if you have that perspective, then I think it allows you now, especially looking at the last eight months as, as a PhD in how markets change and affect due to outside circumstances, then companies will have that ability to be more reactive when, when situations like that present themselves in the future. And finally, Mick, what's next for Not Impossible Labs? We have a whole slate of different things that we're working on right now. Uh, we're in clinical trials right now on an external wearable that uh, prevents symptoms of Parkinson's. We have created a device that allows the deaf to experience music through vibrations in their skin. That has now led to more of a, a commercial approach because everybody, whether you are whether you can hear or can't hear now, uh, are able to, to reap benefits and joys from that. Uh, we're working right now in the space of cancer. We're working right now in the space of, um, of Alzheimer's and dementia. We, we have a lot of different things that we're tackling, but the origin of it, I really wanna emphasize this, the origin of it is how do you assemble like-minded, passionate people who then are, are so driven to why it needs to happen. Not how much money can be made, not what the business opportunity is, not how it affects the bottom line, but why, in, uh, from a society perspective, why this needs to change. And then that's why we're able to punch, I think, so much above our weight is because the reason why and the origin of why we're trying to do this is, is becomes the, uh, the magnetism for, for brilliance to, to want to, to jump in our sandbox. Mick, great talking with you. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. And just before we go, uh, Vivek, our research team tells me that in 2015, you were second on a list of 10 men worth emulating in the Financial Times. What I want to know is who was number one then? Iceland's prime minister. So <laughs> I didn't have a hope against him. I don't have a nation to run. <laughs> Ishmael, can you top that? <laughs> Unfortunately, I cannot top that. But I can tell you that I was in Barcelona when Manchester United won the treble. Okay, well, the three of us will be back soon with another special guest, so do join us. And if you want to keep up with our conversations, why not subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts so you won't miss an episode. And tell a friend or colleague who might be interested. In the meantime, from me, Justine Green, Vivek, Ishmael and Mick, it's goodbye. The Incremental to Exponential podcast, back soon.